You are listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, part of the Tokyo Beat Podcast Network. I don't think I can get her to do it. You mean it'll be difficult? Very. Well, this is not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts are best that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2 and Friends, a podcast looking at movies and a franchise one film at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergi. With me is Thrasher. This is not Mission Difficult, Mr. Hunt. This is Mission Impossible. And Alex? Yo, it's a Mission Impossible. I find it improbable. I know it's apocryphal. My rhymes are unstoppable. Uh, <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, this is the one directed by John Woo with the, the Limp Biscuit um, <laughs> cover of the Mission Impossible theme with lyrics. <laughs> that it, the lyrics of, why you want to hate me, meh, 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 like whiny lyrics uh, in it. I well, can't say Limp Bizkit without laughing a little bit because it's Limp Bizkit. Yep. Well, what's nuts is that that song did outlive this movie. That well, song was in yeah. fairly regular radio circulation, and I think until about 2002. Yeah, wow. no, it was that song was a hit. I mean, this movie, you know, it is a six-year gap between this one and Mission Impossible 3, and it was a four-year gap between Mission Impossible and Mission Impossible 2, but I think there's just overall less focus on sequels, and Mission Impossible 3 went through a lot of different directors, and, um, but, you know, sometimes it seems like Tom Cruise can be a bit of a perfectionist, kind of finding what he wants, which, you know, I don't think is a bad thing. But that's the thing I appreciate about these, like, four Mission Impossible movies we're looking at, the first four, is they each have a different director, and because of that, they're pretty distinct. Yeah, and, it's... Yeah. It's interesting because, like, a lot of series are always in competition with themselves. Like, each Fast and Furious movie has to get more fast and more furious and more ridiculous. Whereas the Mission Impossible movies exist because people like making them and being in them. So I think they want to bring, like, talent that they appreciate. But I think Mission Impossible 2 is important in this. Because I think they realize that we can't bring in such a specific talent. Like, okay, we got Brian De Palma, and he's got Brian De Palma style, and that kind of set the bar. Now let's get a different auteur. Ooh, John Woo, he does action really well. Maybe this will be more action-oriented. And yeah. then I think they realize, like, John Woo's a little too much of an artiste for this. We need, like, a maybe a J.J. Abrams. Yeah, it's fun to see John Woo have such, you know, a huge uh, budget on something. And you, I mean... People might, the reviews for this were certainly a lot worse than the first film, but it, I was sort of surprised looking back on the domestic box office um, for Mission Impossible 2. Guess where it placed? Number for, one. For 2000. Uh, not number one, but that's close. I'm going to say top five at least. Uh, you have to give a number. Uh, three. Nope, two. Wow. But, this was uh, a pretty uh, big to do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, above it at number one, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Wow. Which is really well, impressive considering it came out in mid-November mid that year, right? But still, I think I'd still actually watch this then. <laughs> yeah, and uh, below it at number three, this really surprised me, Gladiator. Oh, wow. Yeah, Gladiator. That was a big old fucking movie. But looking at the top ten for 2000, it just shows how much the, the movie-going public and movie theaters and, and stuff has changed. Uh, you know, below it at number four, The Perfect Storm. Number five, Meet the Parents. Number six, The Original X-Men. That's right. That was way back in 2000. Number seven, Scary Movie, the the spoof of uh, okay. Eight, What Lies Beneath, Harrison Ford. Eh. Uh, nine, Dinosaur, this weird sort of Disney, oh, yeah. early Disney CG attempt. And number 10, Aaron Brockovich. Hey, I uh, like Aaron Brockovich. Yeah. But I mean, look, I mean, a lot of those, you know, some of those are like dramas or historical movies and stuff. And I think nowadays, if uh, and partially because of um, the, the pandemic and stuff, Looking at the box office top ten, it would probably all be like comic book movies. Yeah, exactly. Right. MCU stuff. So I you got a John Woo, Robert Zemeckis, Steven Soderbergh, Ridley Scott. I mean, that's a pretty good array mm -hmm. of directors. It's a pretty deep bench, as they say. 
What was that, Thrasher? Oh, no, just just that, you know, Gladiator holds up pretty well. Scary movie holds up better than you think. Yes, I agree. It, it's the best of that series of films, and it actually <laughs> has something to say. And because horror films have learned so little because of when it comes out, yes. you will think it's talking about a movie that came out last year. Very true. Right, that's a good point as compared to, I don't know, you know, Saturday Night Live, which is often very... Um, political or making very specific TV references and things where if um, someone is maybe watching an older episode of that show, they might as well be watching science fiction. <laughs> Pretty much. The references or so. So, I mean, yeah, the, the cast in this uh, Mission Impossible 2, Doug Ray Scott, Tandy Newton, uh, Richard Roxburgh, uh, Bean Rames does uh, come back. You got Anthony Hopkins there to class up the joint. Oh, yeah. You do, and I mean, two interesting things about the cast. The the shooting for this uh, went on for so long that two actors had to give up what became big parts. One is Doug Ray Scott was originally cast as Wolverine in X-Men. Oh, shit. He had to give that up because they were making, uh, this movie was taking forever. And instead, the number two choice got it was uh, Hugh Jackman, and that made his uh, film career. And he's still playing Wolverine to this day. That's right. That's because of the um, SAG strike. They had to stop filming on Deadpool three in which I'm not sure if he's like reprising his role as Wolverine or if he's playing himself as Hugh Jackman or what's going on. I mean, mean, it's Deadpool. So anything's possible. Yeah, it could be both (laughs) alternate history or. Yeah, I think the funny thing to do would be Hugh Jackman playing just a random dude who exists in a world where Hugh Jackman's Wolverine exists and he's just really into it because he looks like him. Right. It, it'll be interesting to see. Like everyone says I look like this Jackman fellow. Look, eh, eh. he does like the thing with the hands. Well, and then Ryan Reynolds for years and years was like, oh, we're going to get, um, we're going to have Wolverine and Deadpool. And it finally happened. So whether um, after how serious uh, Logan was, the last Wolverine movie um, with the, uh, him, at least with that, that's how it was marketed at the time. Yeah, we'll just have to see. Um, the other actor, I, I think so. Um, the other actor, yeah, dessert. That's a good way to put it. The other actor that had to give a big, a big part because of how long this all took was a uh, Tandy Newton. She was originally supposed to be in the Charlie's Angels film in one of the leads, oh. but um, she couldn't do it, and instead they put in uh, Lucy Liu, I believe. So, I could see her in the Charlie's Angels movie. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, those. Were, but I mean, it's not like Mission Impossible wasn't a big movie, as we just said. It was the number two of that year. But those are all. Um, the the Wolverine one for X Men, I think, is quite because Doug Ray Scott. He has certainly been in movies since. He's also uh, he's he's Scottish, but it, you know, this was probably his most mainstream movie he did. And if he did X Men, uh, that would have been even more mainstream. You know, I think in the collective uh, consciousness. Yeah, this has got a lot of. Um... That guy from that thing movies, actors. <laughs> yep. Yep. So. So when did you all first see this one? Yeah, yeah, right. Um, I was visiting family up in the D.C. area, and I went out to the movies with my uh, my aunt and uncle. And I was excited going to see it. I think I got sucked into the marketing and stuff, even though I hadn't seen the original since it was in theaters. And... Um, afterwards I was like, it's okay. And then I saw it later on video and seen it to prep for this show. And I'm like, oh, that's worse than I remembered. But there's some still pretty flashy, uh, sequences. Um, what about, uh, what about you, Thrasher? So I saw this opening weekend with my friend Todd. And at this point I had not seen the first Mission Impossible, but my friend Todd absolutely like loved it. And I remember we were, we were going to the theater and we're having, and we're just like having like a casual chat. And he's like, I wonder if they're going to have the red light, green light gum, the red light, green light gum was such a good idea. That's so useful. How can they not have it? Cause that, uh, that was, that was the thing in the first film that stuck with him. If, if uh, he, hmm. I ever ran shadow run for him, he wanted the shadow run equivalent of red light, green light gum. Hmm. Although that does bring up something in like in like spy movies, how there's no continuity of gadgets, right? 
I mean, yeah. it's a staple of the genre, and you can justify it by it being prototypes and one-offs for the mission. But at the same time, it's like, well, you know, your gadget guy did give you this thing last time. You could use right. that again. Wouldn't Why you want the Aston Martin for, like, three more movies? Really, the only thing I think you, you, you always get are the masks. Yeah, well, those are the only recurring things. That's part of the appeal of the uh, main... Um, of the TV show and of spy movies is you want to see a new gadget or something clever. I think if they just use the same, you know, stick of gum every time, that's not as um, fresh, right? Well, well, as, as a screenwriter, it's your job to come up with challenges that aren't fish tank bars. And Robert town did write the screenplay. Again. Yes. Yeah. Um, Although interestingly credited uh, for the story is Ronald Moore and Brandon Braga. Yeah, who, um, yes. at the time were you know Star Trek DS Nine and um, stuff like that. This was before Ronald Moore was uh, Ronald D Moore, excuse me. You know, did the the Ballister Galactica um, reboot. Um, so Thrasher, were you at SCAD at this time or no? No, this would have been this right would have before. been the summer or the spring before I uh, before I enrolled. So I would be I would be at. Uh... Oh wait, no. Now, now I gotta figure. Now I gotta figure out the timeline. This is May two thousand is when this came out. Oh yeah, yeah. I would. Yeah, that September I would have. Uh, I would have been going to SCAD. Ah, uh, the innocent summer before. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this is though. This is such a pre nine eleven spy movie, though. Oh, totally. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Alex? Do you sketch this in the cinemas or? I totally caught this in the cinemas. Um, as you all know, as a big fan of uh, the first film. And I basically had to like r- like wrangle all my friends up, and be like, guys, 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 we gotta see Mission Impossible too. It doesn't fucking matter if you saw the first one. And they're like, why? I'm like, because it's a John Woo movie, man. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. until this point, the coolest film I had seen was Broken Arrow, and then after Broken Arrow, the coolest film I'd ever seen was Face Off. But you know what happened between Face Off and Mission Impossible Two? We rented The Killer and Hard Boil from Blockbuster. <laughs> uh-huh. And so that's so when we you were, first saw his oh, Asian films. Also, his Chinese films. I had also purchased um, John Woo's Bullet in the Head on a bo- on a VHS tape. Yep. Fully subtitled. One of the most amazing films ever made. So much violence. Oh, my God. So for a little gorehound, I was, what, 14, I think? Yeah. This was, like, perfect. And I think I really convinced myself and my friends that this was a really good movie. Because you had doves and you had two forty five pistols blazing. And even if it took an hour to get there, it was okay. It was worth it. The that is what got me in the door because I was getting into to Hong Kong cinema at the time, and so I was gonna I, I was going to give this movie a pass just like I had given the first one a pass. But then I'm talking to Todd about it. Wait a minute, John Woo did this? Well, now I've got to check it out. Oh, totally. It's a name that got me in the theater. Like John Woo was like one of the directors like up there with like Spielberg and Kubrick, like one of the first names I was like aware of as a kid. And looking at his filmography, I'm actually sort of surprised. I had the impression he did Hollywood movies for longer than he did, but it just was the period of a decade, uh, you know, starting with Hard Target with Jean-Claude Van Damme and ending with uh, Ben Affleck and uh, Paycheck. Yeah, it wasn't the longest run. A lot of these guys, because Choi Hark and Ringo Lamb came over, too. Like, yes. Choi, Hark, Choi Hark and Ringo Lamb did Jean-Claude movies. and Was it Knockoff, one of those? Knockoff is one of them, yep. Yeah, yeah. Knockoff and Double in double team i want to say oh oh right with them um that i mean there you can see traces of their influence there but it's really just a pale imitation yeah troy hark's a double team too with dennis fucking rodman uh-huh. oh, and then you get the idea that these um you know hong kong directors that came over to uh to do the hollywood movies they just got very fed up and constricted by the process even um you know jackie chan a, a few times did the movies uh, in the u.s and it took a bit for it for them to catch on but he never he, even he ended up going back which i found surprising yeah well what happens though is that this huge exodus of hong kong talent is because of the handover the 1997 handover to mainland china yep. and the hong kong film industry was like really in the toilet till about the like you know the proliferation of, of um digital cinematography and you know red cam and what have you and then you get the Infernal Affairs trilogy and the Red Cliff. John Woo comes back to Hong Kong. So it's an interesting story that I sound off about a lot. 
Well, yes, and then you get the the um, you know Hollywood investing a lot more into Chinese co-productions, which seems to be kind of on the the outs uh, lately. But you you still see uh, traces of that with what we have Meg Two coming out with um, Jason Statham and Meg Two. We're going to need yep. a bigger shark. Well, that has one of the best oh. taglines I've seen in a long time, where it's like. Uh, in fact, I have to look it up um, so I don't get it. It's like old friends, new chum, I think is what it says. Oh. So, so that, that's quite good. But the Meg 2 has um, uh, Wu, Wu Jin in it, who was who big, um, big star oh. over there. Wu Jin's huge, yeah. Hey, yeah. you know what dates Mission Impossible 2 more than anything else? Everything? No, the music? <laughs> well, no, not even the music. <laughs> the fact the fact that the mega corporation that makes the Chimera virus is called Biosite, because this was made in a time oh. period where the name yes. of the company had to say what the company did. Yes, exactly. So You're if right. you were an evil yeah. company, you had to really camouflage it. Like if, but not by much. If this was made... To- if this was made today or this was a real company today, it would be called like Valthusia. Yeah. Like yes. I mean, the, or, the beginning of the CEO would look like Elizabeth Holmes. Yes. <laughs> doing the same sort of fake voice and then in, in, in private, you know, doing a New Jersey yeah. accent or something. Um, I think but yeah. like, um, I think the other thing that dates this movie is that every, for the longest time from like, the mid nineties on every protagonist in like an action thriller cop movie, whatever had to do an extreme sport. Yes. Like someone had to be like, like hanging off cliff, bungee or... jumping, skydiving. And you get that here. He's basically free soloing, which before that was really a thing, I think. Yeah. Or his main, yeah, before uh, award winning documentaries were made about it and stuff. Right. right. But, and, but the beginning with Ethan hunt, uh, free, as he said, you know, climbing without a harness on, uh, and jumping from thing to thing uh, on the cliff. It just reminded me of Star Trek V, where yes, it totally. seemed something like the actor was interested in it. It had little to do with the story, and it was kind of shoehorned in. And it's like, when you think of spy movies, you know, it's, it's it almost strikes me as more about, like, ego of the actor. Like, oh, he has long flowing hair. No, oh, you can see his muscles with the, the shirt he's wearing. Right, we're gonna, right. We're going to... Um, have now you know heavy metal guitar aspects in in the music you had um han zimmer did the music this time and it's less uh kind of electronic-y sort of a traditional sounding as the danny elfman did in the first film right but but like that's the thing is that he gets to the top of the of of the you know the 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 narrow rock outcropping and there's a capsule there with magic sunglasses that give you missions and exposition yeah and all i can think is this guy's a spy time is of the essence there must be a more efficient way to contact him when something comes up yes and you had cell phones at this point certainly um i don't know if they had the the ear units but they could have made up something like that where he could have been talking while he was climbing like that could have been a little more interesting instead of Oh, he's jumping from rock to rock. Look at Tom Cruise. Oh, jeez. Or like, or like he passes like a condor nest, and then one of the baby condors, its mouth <clears> opens, <throat> and there's a camera in there, and it starts projecting oh. a message. Oh, I thought you were gonna say like a condor would swoop down and take off his headset that's giving him the mission. And oh, that's chase after too. it. Yeah, that's the movie. Tom Cruise chasing a condor. <laughs> It's sure. like the Crocodile Hunter movie. <laughs> yeah, Tom, he's he's chasing a condor, and he has a vintage condor plane that he goes in. Yes. To chase the gun. <laughs> <laughs> or it's just like, like a survival movie. It's just like him surviving in the woods, like making his own fires, chasing this condor over like a week's time. I'd, we'll I'd call, be fine with that. We'll call this movie Bag That Bird. Yeah. <laughs> Is this the first movie to have a, a stupid title that isn't the movie? Um, It was certainly M- the start I, of a trend. I, I. M colon I dash two. And then below it, it says filled out in case you don't get it. Mission Impossible 2. <laughs> right. And well, you, you, they, they called it Leak Speak at the time. With oh, You had some boy. of this kind of stuff in in the uh, Matrix or movies where like three was the letter E in the title. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we'd already had ID4 for Independence Day. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was pretty. Yeah, dumb. I guess you're right. This is an evolution of that. But it is. Um, yeah, that's annoying, too. All the, the flames, all of John Woo's. Doves, uh, you get the kind of motorcycle foo scene. What and right. I think at the, M- the MTV Movie Awards next year, Ben Stiller 
did his Tom Cruise imitation sort of making <laughs> fun of this where he's talking to John Woo playing with action figures. Ah, Try and do it. It's a pretty good clip. Um, well, it's, it's funny because it starts with the exploding glasses, right? Yes. And it's like, okay, that's vintage Woo right there, something blowing shit up. And then the movie starts, and nothing really happens for a long, long time. Well, the movie does not have much plot. It does not have much no. incident. It does not have much character. But it is just a drip with style. Yeah. Yeah. Style over substance, for sure. And it's about, um, you know, a, like a, a, a virus that goes rogue uh, from a, a big uh, pharmaceutical corporation which is definitely a, a different way to take the plot like i'm glad it's not about an evil imf agent again right that was well, it sort of is though because there's a double cross well okay yes there is a double cross but i don't think he's a part of imf though right Weather Tokyo Fresh Podcast. I'm David. I'm Jordan. We're a comedy lifestyle podcast diving into the weird and interesting side of Japan. We often share stories about our lives in Japan, you know, and how you can avoid making the same mistakes. So if you want to take advice from two idiots who have been living here far too long, check out the Tokyo Fresh Podcast. Only on the Tokyo Beat Network. I thought he was or was a oh. former agent or somebody who had access to their files. Oh, we've got cross movie the... literate people and we can't really understand what the movie's about. I think that might Yeah, be. and you have you had a cross in the last film too with Sean Renault and uh Phelps, so yeah, I guess that's a that's a good call there. Um well, well this this connects to it being a pre uh, a post Cold War but pre 9/11 spy movie is like that that was the thing. The, we bad, so the only possible threat <laughs> to us is ourselves. So every movie, there has to be a rogue agent or or a traitor who's just in it for the money. And we see that happen in the previous movie, and then we see that happen again here. Well, and Tom Cruise has to go rogue and prove that he's uh, he really knows what's going on, man. Yeah, you always. Well, I mean, like they... the one thing is that like this movie is a little bit at odds with itself because like. You know, John Woo likes his, like, leading men, very emphasis on this. You know, he's fascinated with the chivalry and honor mm. and all this other shit. And he wants his protagonist to be, like, you know, suave but, like, Olympian he-man, cap capable of, like, you know, yeah. these great feats of honor, you know. And, like, I kind of get that vibe with Tom Cruise, but he's not, like, like, that's, I think, was his appeal with his previous action films is that, He's like, yeah, very fit and very strong, but he also just kind of looks like a regular dude, albeit a very handsome movie star -y dude, you know? Um, like, here, it's interesting, because you have, like, this is, like, this, it's, like, such, like, a, a, trying to be, like, this, like, passionate, romantic, you know? Yes. Affair, and, like, I just, that never really felt, like, it never really solidified with me, you know? Like, when they, like, meet their, their eyes meet. Whether they're like, you know, Ferraris are spinning out of control in the dusty fucking Spanish roads. I'm like, what the fuck's going on, man? There's something with Tom Cruise. Um, excuse me. <clears throat> excuse me. There's something with Tom Cruise where it I think he, he is, a, is a good actor, but sometimes he just comes off as distant. Yeah. And I, I think it's like when he tries to be a normal person at the same time, his persona is Tom Cruise. And that makes it difficult to to swallow that he's a regular guy. Well, I think what it is, I think John Woo wants to direct him to be stoic. But yes. because the Tom Cruise has to leak out of the character, Tom Cruise just can't do stoic. He can only do Tom Cruise. Yeah. Right. And Tom Cruise is a producer on these movies, too. So he has more of a say than he, he otherwise would. Um, but we, we do get, you know, back from the first film. Uh, Vane Rames as uh, Luther. All right, so did and, anyone else feel like the introduction of his character was really weird? Yeah. Like the, like the way it's presented, though, they're like, they say the character's name and his like, face appears on a monitor, then he just like magically appears in the movie. <laughs> I wonder like, if it's they very added, strange. If He's such a good hacker, he can be summoned from the digital yes, realm. Right, I wonder if they added footage of him later or more of it later or something because he's some of these uh, movies he's in like almost not at all maybe for like two minutes at the end or some of them he has more of a role and it's nice that he's always there but at the same time uh, and I mentioned this last week as well 
I loved the team dynamic of the original Mission Impossible TV show. And so many of these movies just evolve into the Tom Cruise show. Oh, big time. Yeah, Ving Rhames, he's one of the he's one of the few actors that can actually play off of Tom Cruise. So like it's great Good to point. see them on camera together. And yet he's such a consistent thread throughout these films. I can't help but wonder, there had to have been a spin-off movie just about him at some point that someone tried to make, right? Oh yeah, or like a series or something. I hope like so. That. Right. Because oh, he's been... uh, got so much charisma. He's like a yes. great actor. He's got that awesome voice. That great voice. Such a good voice. And he certainly's had a big career in all sorts of movies, but I'm not sure why he didn't, you know, it, it's like, um, you know, didn't have such huge leading roles as, as uh, around the same time as, say, Michael Clark Duncan did. I feel like he was probably offered a bad action franchise, like a Taken or something, and probably turned it down. <laughs> yeah, well, like, the movie wouldn't oh, have been maybe. good, but it would have elevated his profile. Right. I can totally fast. see like Ving Rhames alone on like the on the poster, like holding a gun with a bad tagline, like "You push a man too far and he goes off." The right, team. right. I, mean, I always like him when I see him and stuff. I just sort yeah. of wish he did. Um, I was kind of surprised he never popped as much as uh, I would have wanted him to. Um, I guess what with the technology in the last film, we had the the big old like zip disc stuff. Uh, this one, we do have a memory card, which, I mean, you're still seeing memory Ooh, cards and things, so that doesn't useful. age and, and things, although they took them off the laptops where you can't just uh, stick them in anymore. I, I kind of thought the glasses were going to play again, but yes, they blew up, true. so they made only, they only made one pair. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Spe- speaking of which, so, yeah, the, the U.S., so like the USB ports and all that. So I, I purchased, for, for business purposes, purchased a new laptop next year. Well, everything I need to use that laptop with uses the old USBs. <laughs> so yes, it, and they so, have the USB-C ports in the new system, so you have to have a million fucking dongles. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh. yeah, and I don't have that many adapters lying around, but it's like, like, congratulations, you have created a new computer that is ten times faster than my old computer and one tenth as useful. Yeah, exactly. That's yes, and they also have as few ports as possible, and I don't understand. Like, we have to make laptops thin. Like, I, that's something I never cared about to begin with. What I find more interesting is if um, I, I tend to to travel a bit um, more so than before, and a lot of laptops, you just can't even open them all the way in a coach uh, seat. Right. Like, I've got my... <laughs> Unless you have, like, this... a 14-inch or something. Like right. A... We're doing this on my MacBook Pro, which is, like, like an inch thick. Mm-hmm. And it has every goddamn port. And I'm like, yeah, get the job done. I mean, if somebody said, like, I got the newest, latest, strongest, most powerful truck, and you go out into the driveway, and it's, like, the size of a Volkswagen with a flatbed, you'd be like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> Right, or it only goes up to 30 miles an hour. Right, yeah. So yeah, it's like, it's, this is the fastest, most durable, fucking badass laptop, and it's like a fucking wafer. I'm like, eh? So this is the other thing. I've always wanted I've always wanted to see, like, spies who are, like, they're, they're really good at spies, but they're only, like, average of tech savvy or maybe slightly below average. Because, like, anytime I see anything where, like, they have to use a zip disk or a thumb drive, all I can think is, we've got to transfer the files. Well, oh, wait, we got to format this first. Yeah. Well, wait, yeah. which formatting option do we choose? Mm. We can upload the video. Oh, it no, only no. does MP4s and MPGs. It's an ADI. Well, I mean, God damn it. That's you have weird to disconnect thing is... from the desktop yeah. before you pull it out, you know? Right. Well, that, that's a good point. With the image files, it's um, that those formats haven't changed a whole bunch in, in 20 years. There's more of them, but if you have an old one, you could still get it working. Now, video formats, we're getting off topic. Oh. But yeah. I, I, I found some of my old college projects uh, from... Uh, uh, SCAD, where uh, Thrasher and I went to college, Savannah College Art and Design in Savannah, Georgia, and um, I don't know why I had to say it like that. <laughs> and and you, uh, um, they were done as real player video files. Because <laughs> my computer is so shitty, so I have to like find. And anyway, I'll get those converted at some point. But it's uh, it's something yeah. with technology, right? Where like, you, if you have a physical painting, that'll always be around. Right. But, but it's yeah. not backed up in your cloud. Oh, the cloud. Where's the cloud? It was cloud. And yeah. the cloud systems won't be around in the next month. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> like shut the, up. The, the, the tech in, in Mission Impossible 1 felt like 
like proper for the time. And the texture does as well. Like the MacBook opens and the Apple's upside down because that's just a thing that happened for Macs for a while. Um, But like, I just, I don't remember a lot of like savvy technology aside from like the stupid Chimera gun. Well, but then, but then you also have like the magic eyeglasses that has a retinal scan built in, a, a lens display, and like plays the recording and also explodes. Yeah. <laughs> How many millions of dollars did it take to develop and then create that set of glasses and then it just right. explodes? This mission will self destruct if not properly stored in its case. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, I think the other. The plot is sort of simple, but there's just so much going on and on about Chimera, and it feels like they want to make it complicated just for complicating its sake. Exactly. And, 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 and the, in the first film, I think it it worked. Like we mentioned, like the plot wasn't that on the surface isn't that difficult. Find the mole, but yet it had twists and turns that it had a beginning, middle, and an end. And I think overall, sexy tango, sexy tango, of course, and a good story. And this one, it's just ugh, like. You want to do the the you know the the virus that goes out and the right. biohazard that that's fine that's cool, but it's just so labored. It feels like everyone is wearing like lead shoes or something to get yeah. The and like story then you across. get the racetrack, and I don't know what it is, but when you're at a movie when a movie is happening and you get stuck at a racetrack, I, it just slows the movie down for me. <laughs> like, and I'm just like, what are we doing here? Are we on a stakeout? Are we meeting is it a bad guy meeting are we infiltrating like i think they take up a couple pictures of some bad guys because they're hunting stuff and then there's horses in slow motion and i'm like i'm just bored at this point and and also like this the the symbolism is a bit on the nose because you know the the customized like the the hybrid the hybrid virus it's a combination of every common cold ever uh, is called Chimera, which makes sense. That is the technical term for a genetically customized organism made from snippets of DNA from other organisms. But what is the universal vaccine for it called? Bellerophon, who is the Greek hero who slayed the Chimera. <laughs> well, that and makes like, sense. I, like, like, I feel like I would believe that if Michael Caine was talking about Chimera and Bellerophon in the 70s. Yeah, exactly. It seems like mm. you didn't dig deep enough for this one. Bellerophon's right. a bit of a mouthful, too. I right. would have... And then, not that you call it dragon or something, but if, if Chimera, you know, I, I think of the mythological beast, like, what are you going to... Anyhow. Also, if you're going to release that to the public, like, you know, savvy people are going to put together the metaphor and then they're going to be like wait so somebody made this to be you know what i mean mm. that would be like if there was a virus called like we're trying to kill you and the vaccine's called we made money off of the vaccine you know <laughs> yeah although what i bet people nowadays might watch this movie and want to see see mission impossible had it right all along it's all about covid man oh lord yeah. right i bet there's people out there like that like oh yeah no <laughs> thought crossed my mind you know uh, but um Oh, but, but you yes. know, across my mind, what? there's that line, that that the hack line in the trailer that we quoted at the beginning. This isn't mission difficult. This is mission impossible. But yes. there was a mission difficult. <laughs> Direct, directed right. by friend of the show, Shecky Spielboy. Oh, yeah. Hey, Shecky's oh. here. Oh, oh yeah. hey, hey, Shecky. So what about the mission difficult? You had to do this at the same time as uh, MI2. Well, uh, I, it, I had a beer with Jean Renault, and he said he wanted to do another mission movie, but he got into a fight with Tom Cruise over a Cinnabon on the first one. So Tommy wouldn't have John back, and I think he's a great guy. So I said, let's not make it too hard for everybody and do Mission Difficult. I asked my brother Steve for money, but he was doing things, and he knew better. Anywho, so it was going to be about me and Jean Renault getting some Pop-Tarts after the stores closed. What are you going to do? Break through the front door? Alarm systems up the wazoo. What are you going to well, do? And, and, and note, this is the, at the time, you couldn't just go on and, and um, have Pop-Tarts delivered to your house or, or get them off of Amazon. It was much This is way a, before a Instagram. That's right. Yeah, the Pop-Tart ad hadn't been invented yet. Yeah, this isn't, uh, you know, your face place door dong, uh, you know, Insta- Instagram thing, you know. You had to get it the old-fashioned way. So what's the other other plan? The other plan is you infiltrate from within. So Jean Renault and I got a job at the stop and shop 
And we slowly mm. worked our way up the ranks. And we took all the Pop-Tarts and we ran out the front door. And he said, you'll never take us alive. But I had a flat tire. So we got caught. It's more of a documentary. You got, you got caught. And not only that, I don't think they had the flavor that you wanted. No, we, we wanted the small marshmallow. We ended up with cinnamon. This is frosting, mm. which is a, don't take me, don't, don't, don't misinterpret me. It's a very good flavor, but we wanted s'mores. Okay, so for my money, the absolute best Pop-Tart flavor was the peanut butter and jelly Pop-Tart from the late oh. 80s. That has been, so far as I know, long discontinued. I would kill it for has. one of those. Well, there is a market on eBay for um, out-of-print snacks. Whether I, I, In, in theory, <laughs> Pop-Tart would hold up more <laughs> over time than, than um, some other stuff, which is, oh, God, I... Um, in those little NASA baggies they come in. Oh yeah, I got yes, NASA. yeah, right. The NASA baggies or or all this stuff is just. Um, I mean, allegedly there there is a. I read an alleged story that was funny about a pop tart about Elon Musk was in in the break room of um, Twitter or something and and saw a pop tart and didn't know what it was, <laughs> and had to be told what it was and you put it in the toaster and he puts it in the wrong way and then he burns his hand. And then tries to fire the person that told him about pop tarts. Oh boy, I, so. I got some choice words is, for that, Mister Musk. He sounds like a cologne. Might see the best pop tart flavor. I'll let you in on a little little production mm, secret. Is that I yep. made a prototype for ET pop tarts. Okay. I always thought that ET that little guy looked so delicious to me. I just wanted to grind him in a sausage. So <laughs> what I did is that I made Vegemite pop tarts, and they were called right. ET tarts, ET tarts, ET tarts, and yep. um. It, it, it also wasn't the standard Pop-Tart shape. It was shaped like E.T.'s head. Yes, and you boiled them. You didn't toast them. <laughs> boiled them. Boil E.T.'s little shrunken, raisiny head, and you it, ate it. And for my, my mind, yes. it was a dream come true. Every bite was a whisper of beauty. A bite was a whisper of beauty. And uh, not only that, you, you get kind of the, the moist um, crust from, from being boiled. Oh, yeah. it's uh, so, oh. so it's it's... Soft, soft and mushy and, and mincemeat. Um, I've got two boxes left in a, in, a, in a Halliburton case buried in the Sahara Desert. Only I know the GPS coordinates. I'll take it to my Are you going like, to like sell those when the collector's value reaches its peak? Or like, are you saving that for your granddaughter's wedding? I'll have to consult my uh, business partner and confidant, Jean Renault, about the details. Very good. Uh, Shecky, I think your, your signal's breaking up there. No! Oh, All shit. Right. That was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Chucky Spielberg. I haven't yeah. heard from him in, in a few years. I'm glad we were able to get him on such short notice. It's, yeah, yeah, it's a... Uh, He's an eager it? fella. Eager. Eager is a good way to put it. Um, now I got Pop-Tarts in the brain and I haven't <laughs> had breakfast. Back to Mission Impossible 2. Yeah, Doug Ray Scott and Richard Roxburgh are the, the main bad guys here. And Doug Ray Scott, I think, is just a little bit bland. I mean, he has a good sort of physicality. But I kept just, thinking the whole time, I'm like, Ewan McGregor. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Although like, Ewan McGregor, yeah, it still could, he would have, it's quite young at this point, but yeah, that still could have worked. He's, he totally would have carried it and had that. He's great when he's a little extra, I feel like. McGregor? Yeah. Like when yeah, he, I liked him in like Birds of Prey or something. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, Doug Ray Scott is, he's a good actor. But I just don't think he's got the chutzpah for this kind of bad guy role. Because it's this isn't your Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy bad guy. You have to fucking crank it up to 11, you know? Um, I mean, you want someone like a British character actor, someone that's got that, like, fucking really fucking, you know, showman-like energy. And I just don't really feel that coming from him. Like, yeah, and also, when you have, like... Anthony Hopkins in the sort of cameo doing the mission briefing, that kind of throws the balance of everything else off because like, oh, it's Anthony Hopkins and the bad guy's Doug Ray Scott. Right, yeah. That seems a little offset to me. Well, like the movie is full of th things like that, where like you get the big thing and then you then it turns out it's the small thing because like how do how do we begin? We begin with that super thrilling free climbing sequence. How do we end a fist fight on the beach? Yeah, exactly. Like well, the action funny. does not build. It just descends. It's very well, weird. Well, it's funny, too, because you could, like, make the case of, like, well, what does a bad guy look like? You know, and this time it could just be just a, a slick-faced corporate guy. And I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. It could be, like, quote, realistic. But I don't think this is a movie concerned with realism. So give me a hammy bad guy that's that interesting to look. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. 
And even though this one is just uh, runs a little bit over two hours, it feels much longer. Oh my goodness. Also, Brendan Gleeson feels very underutilized here. Yeah, Gleeson is usually um, likes to chew into a part a bit and is sort of yeah. Tossed he's off. usually one of the best parts of whatever he's in, and here he's a kind of just whatever. What else do you think about this movie, Thrasher? Well, just that at at the time. I did enjoy it. Like I came out feeling sad. Like I came out feeling satisfied, not like eager for another one, but I didn't feel like my time or money had been wasted. It was a, it was a, it was an overall because of the style a fun spy movie to watch with a friend. And that's kind of the same way I feel it's, it's fun to watch this with someone watching it on, on your own is not, that exciting it's weird this is a movie better shared than just experienced as as a singular piece that is very true because i was watching it by myself and then my partner came home like oh go 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 go, watch this movie watch this movie (laughs) (laughs) and it got much better i think because i just had somebody to bounce off of um but like the thing is is that it's weird because like all the john woo stuff is there the slow motion the guns the explosions being dubs Right, the dove, his own personal dove wrangler. Um, but, like, it's more than just, like, the sanitized, like, America filter. Like, you get a little bit of that with, like, Face Off and Broken Arrow, but, like, the violence and the action still is true woo. This is, like, it just feels like a little milk toasty kind of blandy, you know? Like, it just, it's not there. Hmm. I'm I'm reading there's a interesting behind the scenes story of Tandy Newton was saying she has that scene on the balcony with Tom Cruise and um, Tom Cruise wasn't getting what he wanted. So he basically made her pretend like he was playing his part so he could act out her part in front of her with with how he wanted the line readings and everything. That's weird. Which is a power move and uh, not an especially nice thing to do. Yeah, it's also for like from an actor to an actor. Like you're really not supposed to give your actors like line readings, you know? Like you well, can at say what, at what but, point is he just gonna direct one of these movies? That, right. At I, what point is he gonna direct period? I don't think he's directed at all, has he? Yeah, I don't think so. Everyone that, wants to that's a good point. I never thought about that. And I think that's why they went from I think that's why they went from a Brian De Palma and a John Woo to JJ Abrams. Not anything against JJ Abrams, but I think it's they're like, okay, this guy, he can direct a movie, he can get it done on time, he can handle visual effects, but he's not this, like, auteur, regard, highly regarded auteur, right? So we can kind of sculpt him into what we want Mission Impossible to be. Well, I think it's because in the case of J.J. Abrams, he knows how to play ball, and so that's why you go to him. Exactly, right. Um, but the it's, it's interesting, though, because, like, you definitely get the feeling that John Woo is like, all right, I, I'm, I'm here, I'm ready to blow shit up and shoot people and fucking light stuff on fire and have some flying doves. And then I feel like someone would be like, oh, wait, 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 we need spy shit, so let's just devote the first hour to that, then you can go full Woo. <laughs> Whereas I feel like if you maybe put, like, the motorcycle chase in, like, the first 20 minutes and then, you know, the first shootout within the first, like, half hour of the film it would probably be a much more fluent experience. Hmm. Right. It is um, very lopsided. Yeah. I would give mission impossible to a sequel. No. Um, Alex. This is a hard one for me, man. Cause I, I, I love the series and I'm a huge John Woo fan, but like, it's just a kind of a slog to get through. And the action is not too exciting. While I do enjoy the film, I can't really recommend it. So a slight, a very, very slight sequel. No, even though, um, it's uh, even though it's got some good stuff, it's just the bad stuff outweighs it. I am gonna have to give it a mild sequel, yes, dis- despite all of its flaws. What? Because of the John <laughs> Woo style, it is still okay. mildly satisfying and it's still good to share. If you've got somebody you can watch this with, I think you'll have a good time, but don't watch it under any other circumstances. Yeah. I mean, again, this is a this is a close one. I mean, ugh, the woo, the woo gets me every time. I'm not going to renege and change it, but I will 
back up what Thrasher just said. Yeah. I'm not wooed by Mission Impossible. <laughs> I'm Gene Shalit. Yeah. The budget was $200 million. Now that's impossible. The new film by John Woo, P.U., says this critic. The only <laughs> thing impossible is getting th- sitting through this movie. I mean, they some of what it. I've been having fun watching on YouTube is after Cisco and Ebert left at the movies for um, the, their own Cisco and Ebert show on uh, the ABC, I think, um, you had Rex Reed take it over for a bit. Oh, yeah. With yeah. someone else. And Rick's Reed has been around forever. And his reviews are the most, uh, like like Ebert and like Siskel, he has a very strong point of view. But it's often like wishing every movie was from the 30s or something. Like it right. was quite <laughs> bizarre. And I wish he did more of that stuff and more of that stuff. Um, all I could find of it is on YouTube and it's kind of hit and miss and a terrible quality. I wish more of that stuff existed because... You, a lot of movie, especially like nowadays, a lot of like the YouTube critics and stuff are all kind of copies of each other and trying to be knockoffs of angry video game nerd and stuff. But yeah, Rex Reed is Rex Reed, and that's refreshing, even though if I frequently disagree with him. Oh, yeah, I would rather disagree with an interesting person than than yes. agree with a boring fucking blop a doop. Uh, blop a doop. Uh... Yeah, that's the new what, horror film from Blumhouse Films, Blop Doop. Yes. Blop a Doop, the Blop Doopening. Good. Um, on to what you're watching. I saw a, uh, you know, we were looking for something to see, and uh, my wife said, uh, hey, why don't they make movies like The Net anymore? And I said, why don't we just see The Net? And <laughs> it was on, it was on like Tubi nice. or Pluto or one of those. And I saw this in the theater back in the day, uh, but directed by Erwin Winkler. Uh, and I mean, the, the Internet stuff in here is sort of obviously dated. I remember at the time she orders a pizza online and that seemed like very science fiction-y. Oh, yeah. this... Isn't that in the movie where like she's debugging a game, but the game she's debugging is Wolfenstein, which was like um, 10 years old at that point? Uh, yeah, there's some Wolfenstein 3D in there. I think at the end they actually filmed a sequence at a real Macworld <laughs> convention in San Francisco. Um <laughs> And but I was surprised and and pleased at sort of how low stakes it is. Where she goes to Mexico and loses. It's more about her losing her identity. That it happens to be, internet stuff is is kind of con- inconsequential. I I but, remember a scene where she makes this daring getaway. <laughs> she makes this daring getaway and then she takes off a little speedboat and drives right into a fucking like jetty or something. Yes. I remember I just like fucking I'm laughing right now just thinking about it. It's just like, uh, it's like stupid. And um, Dennis Miller uh, does a rare acting part. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Dennis Miller and, was in stuff at this point. Like, I think he was in the second Tales from the Crypt movie, Bordello of Blood. Yes. yes. Uh, he, he starred in that with his, uh, his uh, only starring Corey, roles. Yeah, Corey Feldman in a small part. I also think. Well, now I gotta look it up. I could swear Dennis Miller was in. Um... Oh, okay. Wolfenstein 3D came out in '92, and the Net came out in '95. So that's three years, but that's still plenty of time for people to recognize Wolfenstein. Yeah. Why did I think Dennis Miller was in? Oh, he is. He is in the Michael Douglas. Uh, excuse me, Michael Crichton movie Disclosure. Disclosure. Oof. Which is, yeah, that one doesn't hold up. But yeah, I mean, he basically will show up and stuff now and then. But he, in an interview since Dennis Miller said he didn't really like acting in movies. And he preferred doing um, stand-up or being, uh, wow. I mean, my favorite, being a commentator. He seems so natural in these, you know. <laughs> He's not an actor. He, he, uh... No. And, and not everyone should be. I mean, just because you're on Saturday Night Live doesn't mean you need to be in movies necessarily like, but yeah, he had his little run and the net was a, a high profile movie. You know, it was pretty early on in Sandra Bullock's career after of course, um, demolition man, but anyhow, yeah, the net was, was inconsequential and fine. It's not great. It's not going to change anyone's mind about anything, but it's, a perfectly cromulent way to spend an hour, spend a few hours. Perfectly cromulent, indeed. Perfectly cromulent. Um, Thrasher, what have you been watching? 
Okay, I found an amazing anomaly of a film. Have you all heard of War of the God Monsters? No, no. You have my attention. Uh, it is it is a Korean kaiju film that is that unlike a lot of kaiju films where it's inevitably comes down to monsters fighting monsters or monsters fighting robots, this is just a straight up disaster movie. Kaiju start showing up all over the world and wrecking shit old school, and the humans just have to try to stay alive. And so it's like a scientist, a reporter, and a little kid are kind of your your main characters in classic disaster movie fashion. And it's like it's them running for their lives and trying to talk to sci other scientists and trying to understand the crisis that's going on. Uh, but what is fascinating is that the studio that made this didn't have the budget or the expertise to do kaiju. So instead, they licensed kaiju footage from the studio that made the Japanese series Ultraman. So they had the license to use Ultraman footage of Ultraman monsters, but not Ultraman. So all of the kaiju scenes are like scenes from Ultraman of the kaiju destroying boats and destroying like factories and and you know crushing cities. And they they don't skimp on the kaiju footage. Like you, you don't go more than you don't go more than five minutes before they cut to an, a gloriously rendered kaiju sequence, and it's fascinating to see how director uh, Kim Jong Yong sort of cuts between original footage he filmed and the footage licensed uh, from Ultraman uh, from a uh, Suburari uh, Subur uh, Productions. Uh, because, like, a lot of the cuts are seamless, and some of them are, like, a little silly. Like, there's a scene where, like, this homeless guy finds this giant egg, and he, like, cracks into it and is, like, eating the yolk, and he's really excited. And then he looks over, and suddenly two giant skyscraper-sized bird monsters have snuck up on him. Ah. And they cut between a shot of the suit actors, you know, stomping through the mountains... And then they cut to him in a forced perspective shot where they like put down these two giant monster feet in the foreground and what? they look like boots. Like they, they, like they're not convincing monster feet at all, but I appreciate the effort. They didn't have to try to match the shot that way, but they tried. And so like, they really do try to match the shots. It, it is a fast, and it's not that long a movie. It's 85 minutes. Um, it apparently it's been released at different times under different names, including simply the flying monster. Uh, but it was released on DVD and Blu-ray in the States recently as uh, war of the God monsters. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. It, it, it is such a delightful yeah. anomaly. And if you just want a greatest hits of original Ultraman monsters, reckon shit, there's, you might as well watch this version. Nice. And they didn't do any sequels or anything. Not as I can tell. No, there there does yeah. not appear to have been any uh, any any sequels or remakes. As you were talking, I was reading and I saw. I guess with the net, it had a TV show at one point that lasted yes, a season. Yes, briefly. And Tim Curry voiced uh, the sorcerer for the first few episodes, who then is revealed to actually be a teenage kid. Using the British voice as a persona. I'm using a British accent to disguise myself. And this is this is after Tim Curry voiced Kilo Khan, the evil computer virus in Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad. So he was being typecast <laughs> as computer virus voices. Oh my god. Well, I mean, he did so much voiceover, uh, especially at that time, that, I mean, why not have the dulcet tones of Tim Curry telling you what to do? <laughs> They're chasing you, Samantha. That doesn't even sound like him. Okay, <laughs> Alex. So, I watched um, a movie that I had always thought I had seen, but I'd, I'd never actually sat down and watched, by one of my favorite directors, uh, Pier Paolo Pasolini. And I watched his first debut feature, uh, Acetone, from 1961. It was billed as the poor man's La Dolce Vita. And boy, is that accurate. Wow. Yeah. Um, La Dolce Vita just came out the year before, I think. But yeah, no, it's interesting. It's about kind of just like this like low gutter, low class pimp guy who, you know, it's post-war Italy. So it's kind of a shit show. Like it's like you 
if you find a job, you don't make enough money to live. And like if you're a criminal and you get caught, then prison's three hots and a cot. So you really have a lot of people with really no inspiration or no means of income with like really nothing to lose. So they're just kind of just bottom dudes. We're just kind of bumming around, you know, and like this character is a pimp and it's like he's barely a pimp. He has like two girls and one of them is his wife, I think. And it's like a, it's a downer of a movie. Like, I mean, it opens with like one of his girlfriends getting hit by a fucking scooter and fucking up her leg. And then he doesn't give her the night off. Forces her go out and work the night. And then she gets taken out by four dudes and gets the shit kicked out of her and dragged home behind a car. And it's like, that's life. You know, I'm like, holy shit. Um, and it's just kind of him trying to, you know, get something out of life and figure his shit out. But, you know, by other various means, he's just kind of gradually more and more spinning out of control. Um, and it's a it's a downer movie, but there's this weird poetry to it that I really um, think is quite profound. It does drag at certain points. It's nearly two hours of basically just Italian neorealism. So where your patience is with that depends on your patience, I guess. But it's a fascinating movie, and I think an interesting primer to a very brilliant career by one of my favorite directors. Is it oh. on a, How did you find it? Is it on a streaming service? or It was part of a or? Pasolini set. Oh, okay. I got it as a present, because I, as I've said before, I love Pasolini uh, for my money at Arabian Nights, and as like medieval films are like the best things that I've ever seen. So I haven't seen his earlier stuff. Well, this is the only one I haven't seen, so fascinating. Is the box set focused on his earlier stuff, then? So he made the what's called his um, medieval trilogy with the, an adaptation of the Canterbury Tales, the Decameron, and Arabian Nights. So this basically has everything else. So you've got Echetone, mm. um, Mama Roma, the Hawks and the Sparrows, um, Pigsty, which is an interesting film about cannibalism, and an adaptation of Medea in Oedipus Rex. But he also most fascinating here. You have. Um, his film, <clears throat> The Gospel According to St. Matthew, the story of Christ, basically. Um, now, Pasolini was an out gay Marxist, atheist, pseudo-anarchist, very politically active. The circumstances of his death are often thought of as an assassination. So you have the, like one of those, made one of the most controversial films ever with um, Salo, The 120 Days of Sodom. And in 1964, you did the biblical drama of the Gospel according to St. Matthew, which is a very significant text, especially to Italians at the time. And this film is not only hailed by critics and, and scholars alike, it is recognized by the Vatican as one of the best screen filmic treatments of the story of Christ ever made. Hmm. Made by a gay atheist in the 60s. Interesting. Oh, so something I just uh, noticed. So uh, Kim Jong-yong, the director of War of the God Monsters, uh, this m might, in fact, pique uh, your interest. He also directed Bruce Lee's Ways of Kung Fu, one of the post-death Bruce Lee imitator movies, starring Rayong Kyo as Bruce Lei, spelled L-E-I. Nice. There's no lack of those. Bruce Lai, Bruce Rowe, Bruce Chong. Bruce Lau. Yeah, Bruce Lai. Even Jackie Chan, they wanted him. The new Fist of Fury. Right, right. All kinds of... Uh, all kinds of stuff going on there. Although what, like as protective as the Bruce Lee estate is, they did license for him to be used in a commercial at one point. Oh, Lord. I don't think I've seen that commercial. I'm not sure I want to. <laughs> that seems ghoulish. They cameo him. As like a, there's an actor playing him, obviously. But like as a kid, he's like, my name's Bruce Lee and I want to fight. And it's like, oh, that's cute because he man was, you know, Bruce Lee's trainer. The, yeah, I, I'm looking up the commercial. It was for Johnny La Walker Black Label, Blue oh, Label Whiskey. Oh, my God. <laughs> a CGI wow. Bruce Lee. Jeez. And, and, you know, and, and because CGI often ages really poorly just with how fast the tech goes, um, yeah, it doesn't really hold up. So uh, I, I'm sure they got a good payday out of that. 
Cha-ching. Um, we don't, I don't think the series ever came out, but in the 90s, in that golden age of syndicated television that brought us like Hercules and Xena and things like that, there was a Bruce Lee-based series that was in development for ages, I think called like Legend of the Dragon or Way of the Dragon, where like the premise was it's like a modern martial artist, but his mentor was the ghost of Bruce Lee. Oh my God! He's haunted by Bruce Lee's force ghost who sends him oh on boy. missions. But ah. again, I don't think it ever actually aired. I'm not sure how much of it ever got filmed. Wow! Uh, this Johnny Walker ad has Bruce Lee say his rather moving quote about you have to let water flow and it can change the world, but it's trying to sell whiskey. <laughs> so water down wow. your whiskey, folks. That's what we're saying. I know, right? Well, that was also his thing. Was that like Jeet Kundo is like based around water because like you know yes. it can fill the cracks between the sidewalk it can also be ice you know it's well, a cool it philosophy a, yeah yeah and it was a cut scene from the um enter the dragon where he kind of goes on about his philosophy stuff for a bit at the beginning but that was later restored the extended version that's neither here nor there okay next week we'll be talking about mission impossible 3 directed by jj abrams from 2006 I hope the E at the end of Impossible is the three. We'll find out next week. We shall find out in seven days. And it's what, like M colon I, I, I. I always, me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So um, you can follow me on Twitter. Excuse me, X. God, I hate that. Um, Ah. At (laughs) M-A-T-W-B-T. I'm glad I washed my hands of it. You can follow me on Instagram at WT2Arts. You can follow me on, I'm calling it Twitter forever. At Crab okay. Nebula 1914. So yeah, if the so old he... way was calling them tweets, is the new way calling them excretes? Um, <laughs> there was a, a a fake version of the, the help site someone did as a joke where it said they're called Zeets, X-E-E-T. Oh. But it, it was such a... It's so strange as of this recording. Last Saturday, he teased, oh, this might come out early. Instead, like it was really botched, and like the iOS version didn't come out for until almost a week later. And not only that, like the help stuff still refers to it as Twitter in the app, it still refers to it as tweets. I mean, it's still twitter.com. If uh, that, that, that too, yes, and not not only that, but X, which is something that um, Elon Musk has has been obsessed with for a, a while as far as naming companies, it's not, it's something already. I think uh, what Meta, Facebook's um, parent company, owns the rights to it for use in social media. Um, <laughs> worldwide, it's copyrighted by so many different things because it's a letter. Uh, it's also a letter that doesn't exist in a lot of countries, and it has, uh, I think, to my mind, you know, a lot of negative connotations. Yeah. Um, yeah. Excommunicated, ex this, ex right. ex uh, XIMF agent, right? Ex- I always think ex- like. The union. Yeah, I always think of like like um, the derivations for Malcolm X's name was that most slaves didn't have a last name, so they were just being X'd out. Right, and someone brought up the point, and on a computer to close a program, what do you do? You click on X. Right, it's, again, so <laughs> Which is like, comedy. yes. <laughs> so, I mean, we'll see. I think he's uh, intentionally just slowly, slowly trying to drive it into the ground as he gets some sort of... I don't know. If you have that much money, why buy a company? Just just put it in an index fund and let it grow and fuck off. Or give do a Warren Buffett and make a pledge to give it all to charity when you die or I don't know, something. I don't get it. That's stupid. That's what it is. I'm going to stick with calling them excretes. Yeah. Um, it's fitting. Um, until next time, this is Matt. <laughs> this is Thrasher. Lances, Alex. Saying. What? To go to bed with a woman and lie to him? She's a, Or to go to bed with a man and lie to him? She's a woman! She's got all the training she needs. Oh, shit. Did we do a sequel scene? There's no, I couldn't find anything oh, yeah. that wasn't punishingly expository or right. only had, like, two characters. <laughs> like, there's a lot like, of quotes and none of them yeah. say anything. Yeah. I, I hope one of these Mission Impossible sequels does a cover of the theme song where it's like, no, dog, get out of there. That's the litter box. No, dog, get no, out dog, of there. No, 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 get a, out no, of there. there. No, no, I was going to say, mission, 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 mission. Impossible. <laughs> impossible. <laughs> impossible. Impossible. A lot of people don't know that there are lyrics. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. What if it was oh, no. uh, yeah. the edgy Doug crossover, the Nickelodeon series? Doug, 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 yeah, Doug, that, Doug, 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 Mr. Dink. Uh, I'm Skeeter. No, I'm it's surprised that one hasn't been brought back. Um, or what? That's I mean, Skeeter honk honk. That's one been... of the few like animated properties that I think could be improved by doing a live action version. Oh, that's interesting. Sure. And um, I and I say that as somebody who has an unironic love of Doug, I think that is a delightful, delightful series. Just a nice, mellow series. And hey, it's got a movie. Maybe we can talk about it one day. Oh, hey. I want to watch it, Doug after it, this. That's right. It did have a movie. Um, I mean, yeah, because what they're supposed to be doing, a new Ren and Stimpy without the involvement of John Krasilovsky. Uh, they have a new Rugrats already. Um, I mean, that's been around forever. But yeah, I mean, that was the part of the original. Um, was it Snick? No. Uh, no, it was a Nicktoon, the original. Excuse Nicktoon. me. Yeah, right. Snick was the, the evening programming. Yeah, I guess I guess the thing that might make it difficult is I think the creator still owns all the rights to it. Uh, so oh. he would have to want to do more, and I'm not sure he does. I was just weirded out where after on Nickelodeon it was on ABC for a bit, and then you had Doug and the bully Roger became friends. Weird. Which I think sort of uh, removed a lot of conflict in the show. I didn't see much of the, that era of the show. That might be worth checking out just to, just to see what happened with it. Yeah, there's more episodes of those than I thought. And of course, uh... oh, damn it. What's his name? Um... Didn't the voice change? Billy no, West. but no, but Billy West voiced Doug and Roger the whole time, which I. Right. It was like, whoa, it's the same guy doing two voices. Whoa, whoa, whoa. But, but Doug is, is more or less his speaking voice, which is more or less Fry from Futurama. So. Oh, Bobby, no. God dang it, Bobby. Dad, can I wear ladies' underpants? Bull, Bobby. Aren't they bringing that one back to him? Bull. Yes, yes they are. All right. Bobby, stop watching those Mission Impossible movies. We've sure talked a lot about things that aren't Mission Impossible. I know. Mission Impossible. Dad, can I watch The Crow? Damn it, Bobby, it's about a grown man that wears makeup. 